listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. a slightly different show today. First of all, I'm by myself here, and I might do more of this uh, going forward, but this is the Frat Files podcast. My name's Eric Daw, and uh, this is typically a podcast about guitar repair and guitar building. Today is a little different. We're going to talk a little bit about guitars, but I have to address something. It's become clear to me that I have to address something that uh, is is painful <clears throat> and uh if you're not up for it, skip this episode. Uh, if you just want the meat and potatoes guitar stuff, then eh, just skip this episode. But we'll talk a little bit about guitar stuff, but uh, I I have to talk to you guys about something that I'm, I'm not really not looking forward to, but it's become clear to me that I kind of have to. I thought that I thought that I could just uh, avoid talking about it on the podcast because that would be the the most painless way of dealing with it for me, but I can see that that's not going to work. Anyhow, this is uh, the show, and here we go. You know, it's been a hard, it's been a, it's been a rough summer for me, and uh, coming on, on the heels of a rough winter. And uh, as long as we're talking about random, non-guitar-related things, no- Norm MacDonald died today. It's uh, August 14th, or excuse me, September 14th, 2021. And, uh, you know, when I have hard times, I fall back onto uh, things that make me laugh. And for the past three months, I've been binge listening to and binge watching Norm MacDonald content on YouTube because there's so much stuff between his podcasts his talk show appearances, his stand-up specials. Norm MacDonald makes me laugh like nobody else, and I was really sad to hear that he passed away because I've been binging on Norm MacDonald stuff to try to lift my spirits over the whole summer, and I was literally, I mean, every day, you know, every day listening to some Norm MacDonald stuff to make me laugh because uh, laughter, of course, is is good medicine for you. And just listening to some more Norm MacDonald today when I saw the news that he passed away after a nine-year battle with cancer. He kept it very private. He he, he uh, kept it a secret. <clears throat> but, yeah. Rest in peace, Norm. 
and that's that. Let's uh, do a couple things here. I want to. Oh, I was on the uh, I was on the forty watt podcast. If you've never listened to the forty watt podcast, it's a it's a good show. You should check it out. My episode is is a few episodes back. And for the last half of this podcast, I'm going to play a segment of that interview. Uh, I was on there with Philip from the 40 Watt Podcast, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good conversation. So if you want to listen to the rest of it, you should go over to the 40 Watt Podcast, right? Uh, and you can listen to the rest of the episode there. So, uh, But the last half of this show, I'll, I'll play some of that interview just for fun. All right, let's do a couple questions here. What do you think? I think I have uh I think I have a phone call to take. Let's see. Let's see what we've got here. Hi Eric, my name is Mike. I live in Idaho Falls and uh I am uh retired, but I'd love to build my own guitar. Do you know of anybody or do you teach classes? on uh, building guitar and maybe uh, and maybe having a class or just uh, doing one from start to finish. Anyways, could you uh, let me know? Thanks. Bye. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for the call. No, I don't teach classes, and I get this question a lot. I, you can't apprentice for me. You can't come and just hang out while I fix guitars. You can't buy a book or a DVD from me, nothing like that. You can listen to this podcast, and that might help you. There's so much free information out there, way more than when I started. I mean, you could get an education on guitar building and guitar repair just on YouTube alone. If you really wanted to take a class, check with your uh, local community college. Sometimes they'll offer uh, woodworking classes and I've seen before colleges that will have a little, you know, guitar building semester where they, you order a kit from Stuart McDonald or something and you build a guitar. You could do that on your own. You could order one of the many kits. I don't know if you want to build an acoustic or an electric guitar, but the, a good way to start is with a kit. Order a kit and build it and then maybe take it to the next level after that. There are schools for this kind of thing. If you go to... uh like Roberto Venn, which I believe is in Arizona or New Mexico. I don't know where it is, but there's several. There's a lot of, you, you know, and this wasn't a thing uh, not that long ago. Luthier school, it, it's a thing. You can go. So, uh, you know, if you, I think he said he was retired. So, yeah, I mean, you could, why don't you go? Go to Luthier school. So there's a lot of different things to do, uh, but I don't offer anything like that, and I don't know. I think he's this guy said he's in my hometown. He's in uh, he lives here in in my same hometown, but it's uh, it's not going to help you any because I just don't I don't do stuff like that. I just don't have time or the interest to do that, and I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. So there you have it. We've got another I've got another call to play, but I'm going to wait till later in the show to do that. Um, but <clears throat> let's see what we've got here. I think there is, uh, uh, some emails to read. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Mm-hmm. 
I'm reading my own. Reading my own today. This is from Zach in Seattle. Eric, I was looking into buying a modern Rickenbacker, and I don't know much about them. I borrowed one from a friend, and it's fun and sounds cool. Mid-1990s Rick 330 Fireglow. I have no experience with vintage models, and usually when companies like this currently produce historic models, they usually aren't like the ones that made them famous. Anyway, I was curious how they're finished, and I found something I have never heard of before. Conversion varnish. Have you heard of this, and is this something you're familiar with? I also don't know... I also didn't know there are two types of poly-type finishes, and they are nothing alike. I'm just curious about your thoughts, and if conversion varnish is something cool and deluxe that we should consider, or are they hiding something by being so cagey about their finish process on their website? The Rick website appears to be intentionally vague on the topic. Here's what I read on the Rick website. He says, I'm not expecting you to read this whole thing on your podcast, but maybe you can riff on this and tell us something I've never heard of. So this is from, this is not an official uh, thing from Rick. This is something, they have a forum on Rickenbacker's website has a forum, and this is a guy on that forum who posted something. So this is not from Rick. It's from just from some random guy on their forum. But Zach sent this to me to read, or at least part of it, and so I will read that now. Guitar players, dealers, and collectors love to use the word poly when talking about finishes because it's such a cool and professional-sounding bit of jargon, but every time I hear it, I cringe. In fact, it's not a word or term, but only a word fragment and meaningless without the rest of the word when you're discussing finishes. Yeah, this guy's clearly a, an expert. There are two polys, and they're quite different though both used in guitar finishing. The first is polyester, used by many Asian companies and can be found on Asian-built guitars, such as Korean Gretches and Asian-Mexican-made Fenders, among others. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the other poly is polyurethane. It's a type of finish that Rick uses, along with some Gibsons and Japanese-built Gretches, again, among others. Another Industry jargon term is nitro, short for nitrocellulose, developed as an industrial finish for the auto industry in 1923 by DuPont, although its chemical origins go back centuries, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this guy goes on and on. He says, of all these types of finishes, polyurethane uh, is superior to all others as a guitar top coat. Nitrocellulose cannot hold a candle to it for its durability and protection, most of what's being said of nitro to promote it is sheer hype. On a scale of 1 to 10 regarding prote protection of the substrate, with 10 being the most protective, nitrocellulose over wood would be about a 3, and catalyzing polyurethane would be an 8 or an 8.5 on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, regarding difficulty of application with a spray gun, nitrocellulose would be about a 2.5, and, and conversion varnish would be about a 12. Stuff is just a bear to handle. That's why so few restoration shops even spray with it. He goes on to say that he uses it, so clearly he's he's an expert. But yeah, he says nitro is for amateurs. This this is getting deep, so I'm going to stop reading. But uh, thanks for the question, Zach. He's his main question was he heard or at least read online that. Uh, Rick uses something called conversion varnish. 
Paint is something that's super confusing, man. I mean, it's just confusing even for even for people who do finishes. But my understanding is, and this is going to be an oversimplification, right? But uh, my understanding is there's basically three categories of paint, okay? And you can think of it as uh, every paint basically falls in one of these categories. Evaporative, reactive, and then coalescing, which is, coalescing is basically a, a, uh, a mixture of the other two kinds of, of paint. So there's evaporative, reactive, and then uh, a mixture of evaporative and reactive called coalescing. So all your like lacquer, like nitro lacquer and shellac and old school finishes and varnishes like they use on violins, enamels, acrylic lacquers, those are all evaporative finishes. And that's the old fashioned way to do something Uh, And they're called evaporative because there's a solvent in there that evaporates. And as the solvent evaporates, the finish, what's left of it, hardens, right? So they're called evaporative. That's a very simple way to finish things. Reactive finishes are poly, right? And yeah, I'll use use the, uh, the term that the random guy on the internet hated. Polyurethane, polyester conversion varnish, uh, epoxy enamels, they all cure by a chemical reaction, not evaporation, but a chemical reaction known as catalyzation. So there's a catalyst added, and it's it's basically um, a chemical curing. So two mixed chemicals cure, and that and then the finish hardens, right? So the the third type of finish is a mixture of the the other two. It's a there's a solvent that evaporates and there's a chemical reaction. Okay. Uh, those are usually those are your water based finishes because the water is the solvent, but there's also an added catalyst to harden it because otherwise, um, water based finishes would be too soft if they had to rely on the evaporative properties of water alone. So there's an added catalyst. So those are the three types of finish. Evaporative, reactive, and uh, coalescing. And so conversion varnish falls in the uh, reactive category, just like all the poly finishes. So that's the way I think of it. It, That is an oversimplification, but uh, conversion varnish is a catalyzed finish, right? Like a poly finish. The guy... That you quoted here, Zach, has has different standards than I do when it comes to talking about guitar finishes. Uh, in his mind, so he says nitro is uh, inferior to a catalyzed finish because nitro isn't as durable, right? So he's he says that you know a reactive finish is is the way to go. I su- I I guess. If you only were concerned with durability, I guess he'd have a point, right? But does he wish that early fenders were poly? I mean, they wouldn't have aged like they did, you know? And everybody everybody loves the way that old nitro lacquer ages and weather checks. And uh, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty, you know, to guitar collectors. Um, and, okay, yeah... 
it's it's uh it's more prone to wear and breaking down but um it's it has a better look and vintage guitars would not look the same if they had all been finished in a harder more durable finish so nobody's right or wrong here but but my opinion is uh don't send a 50s fender or gibson to that guy for a refin right because a catal- a catalyzed finish on a vintage guitar would really um be a sin and it would hurt the value in my opinion so that's the reason most luthiers use nitro not because it's easier to use although that is a bonus but because it's error correct for most of the guitars that they refinish so um it gets complicated but i hopefully i simplified it for you and hopefully it wasn't an oversimplification but uh that's the deal so thanks thank you zach let's uh, maybe read one more here this is from let's take a look who is this from this is from chris in long branch new jersey Hi, Eric. I hope all is well. I love the podcast. I have a question for a guitar scientist such as yourself. I have a five-year-old Les Paul traditional, and all of a sudden the pickup selector switch seems to have nearly seized. It takes quite a bit of force to flip it in either direction, and when I do, it sounds like there's some metal-on-metal grinding. This seems to have happened all of a sudden. I keep the guitar in its case, and I haven't gigged with it since before covid it only comes out a couple times a month or so for some brief noodling. I'd like to retain the original switch if possible. Is there some kind of lubricant I could try? What would be the best way to apply it? Thanks for taking my question and keep up the good podcasting. That's from Chris in Long Branch, New Jersey. Thank you, Chris. Those switches, of course, are almost, uh, you know, they're they're mechanical. There's a lever and just like the lever on the outside of the guitar, if you were to look at it on the inside, you know, there's a fulcrum, and then past the fulcrum, there's a post that sticks out, and as you toggle the switch back and forth, this post moves back and forth, and it moves electrical contacts, right? So it it's, it swings back and forth, and it actually pushes two pieces of metal apart and breaks the connection. So... Uh, when you select the bridge pickup, there's a little, uh, you know, extension of the post inside the switch, which is pushing apart the contacts for the neck pickup. So it turns off one pickup or the other. And being a mechanical device, uh, it can fail. What happens is, you know, there's a, there's a pin that keeps that fulcrum moving, right? Like the center of a teeter-totter or like a hinge, and there's a pin that goes through the post. And sometimes what happens is that pin comes out one end, and so it's just hanging on uh, only one side of the hinge, and then it'll get real hard hard to flip, and it'll get uh, very uh, fussy, right? And basically doesn't work anymore, so... That could be what's happening. You'll have to take the switch out and inspect it. That's what I would recommend. It is possible that it needs to be lubricated, but you know, the, you know, just a little bit of grease on those on those uh, connections is all you really need. My guess is that the the pin that enables it 
to fulcrum became disconnected from one end. And that can be fixed if you, if you center the switch lever and push the pin back through, uh, you might be able to get that to work again. That's my guess on what's happening with it. But man, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of things that could be going on with it. There could be, uh, some, some kind of debris in there that's, that's making it mess up. I don't know. You have to open it up and check it out. Uh, a lot of times you can get those to behave just by adjusting the little paddles that the, that the, uh, that the post comes in contact with underneath there. Sometimes they become misaligned or misshapen, and you have to go in there with some needle nose pliers and kind of bend things and make it work. So try that. I don't know. You'd have to just take it out and check it out. But if all else fails, yeah, it might be time for a new switch. And that isn't great because you said you wanted to keep it original. But, uh, gosh, I think you said it was only a five or ten year old guitar. So really, there's no difference between the, you know, if you bought a replacement switch for it, just get a Switchcraft. A Switchcraft three position toggle switch, it's going to be exactly the same as the one you pull out of there. So... It's really no big loss if you have to replace the switch. That's my opinion. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for the email. Let's take a break and then uh, we'll talk about some We'll talk about some stuff here. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show and people write to me and they say, "Eric, where can I get one?" Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com you can go to playersgearmusic you can order a neck straightening iron some people call it a neck press or a neck heater it is an invaluable tool in my shop I use it all the time I'd be lost without one of these I, I love having a neck straightening iron and Rick is making a really really stout industrial it, I, I think it I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's, it's a tool, I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to playersgearmusic.com, Scroll down on the main page, scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast. You click that, that adds one to your cart, and it's fifty bucks off. So instead of seven forty nine, it's six ninety nine. Six ninety nine, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron, playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out. And don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. 
and shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. Well, I got to be honest with you. I was hoping to just av- avoid talking about this on the podcast, and my my plan really was to just uh, <laughs> to just keep on trucking, and uh, the the issue would you know go away because we'd just do the podcast and the best I could, and the things would be fine, right? So I had not planned on talking about this. The reason I have to address this, not every, but so many emails that I get and voicemails and text messages for the show uh, go something like this here. I'm going to, I'm going to play this message just as a, uh, just as an example. And I'm not picking on this person. This is just, this is an example of the kind of messages I've been pelted with for the last three months. Uh, And I know, I know they all, I know you all mean well, I know that you do. Uh, I just need to talk about it. So anyway, here's a here's an anonymous call. <laughs> hey, Eric. This is an anonymous call because I have an interesting question. Where is Melissa? We want her back. Nat can't read questions the way Melissa does. I have to watch what I say. And one of the reasons why is that, uh, you know, I'm going to leave this podcast up uh, probably forever, you know. It'll be on the internet for a long time. And I have two small children uh, who I love very much, my little boys. They're only five and seven. And uh, one of these days they're going to say, hey, Dad, Dad had a podcast. Let's listen to it, you know. And uh, I don't want to misrepresent anything, or I don't want to. I don't want anybody to feel bad. I don't want um, anyone, any family members, or anybody that listens to this, uh, or anyone who knows me, or anyone who knows Melissa, to listen to this and and feel like they have to take a side, or feel like that you know feel bad in any way. And I imagine my uh, sons listening to this someday. And uh, I love them so much, my little boys. They're my life. They are everything to me. Family is everything to me. This podcast is just something that uh, that I started doing for fun, and it became part of my business. And then my wife, Melissa, became my co-host. And uh, I never, ever, in a, in a million years, thought... Uh, that this would happen, but uh, Melissa did not only leave the podcast, okay? Uh, and this is hard, It's this has been absolutely devastating on a personal level, it's, it's di- difficult for me to, to talk about this, okay, but... Uh, You know, I have a personal life, right? I have a personal life outside of this show. And the show, honestly, uh, three months ago, 
I just would have stopped doing the podcast, except that I have some sponsors, and they paid uh, for some advertising. So I keep the show going the best I can. But i got to be honest with you, I don't feel like it. I would like to ask you all, and there's there's a couple thousand people that listen to this show and, and communicate with me, to please stop asking me to bring Melissa back, okay? Because uh, it's painful. And, I'm, and I know you all mean well. I know that you do. And I appreciate it. Uh, and as I'm sure you can tell, that it's that it's difficult and painful, and uh, that's all I really have to say about it. But my focus has been on being there for my boys, who I love so much. Uh, because they're everything to me. And so I'm trying to stay on top of business, the podcast, repairs, custom guitars, if you guys could show me a little grace, I would appreciate it. And uh, with your help, maybe we can keep this show going. <clears throat> but it's 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 felt pretty close to the end for the show, okay? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe I'll get a uh, second wind here. If Nat keeps wanting to co-host, that would be cool. Or if I find a different co-host, if he doesn't want to do it, I don't know. But I have obligations... I have sponsors, I have uh, listeners, and this podcast helps my business, so I've kept it going, but sometimes it's been, it's, it's difficult, okay? And I'm just, I'm trying to be honest and open, but I had to address it because almost every email or message I get ends with, please bring back Melissa, or where did Melissa go? So... I've said what I'm going to say, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But if you would please refrain, and I know you mean well, but if you'd please refrain from uh, from asking me about it, I would appreciate it. Okay, with that said, I'm going to play a, a bit of this interview that I did on the 40 Watt Podcast, and that'll uh, that'll wrap it up. I could get a lot nicer guitar than this. This is This is my favorite acoustic. This was fourteen dollars at a thrift store. <laughs> oh, that's that came awesome! With these, little, these these little Swan decals that already had them on there, but um, it didn't have a bridge. I had to find an old bridge, and I didn't have a pit guard. I put the pit guard on, but this is an old K acoustic guitar, and it was yeah. fourteen bucks. And I just I love the way it sounds, and I love the way it plays. Could I get a nicer guitar? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. Um, if I got if I wanted to spend the money and get a even a vintage Gibson or Martin, it'd be, it would be uh, a better guitar yeah. for sure. But the mojo that this one has, it's just so enjoyable. Uh, and um, the, I like the way it sounds. It's kind of boxy. And I play a lot of like on acoustic, I play a lot of finger style blues and stuff and it's just perfect for that. So yeah, I, I've talked about him on the podcast before. I'm going to have to end up getting him on the podcast. But I have a, a friend of mine, Ronnie, owns a music store in Clarksdale, where I'm from. And he has almost built his, like, he's a, it, it, he doesn't carry, there's no brand he carries. He's not a dealer for anybody. You know what I mean? He's a small town, 
mostly secondhand yeah. store, mostly consignment store. So you never know what's going to be in his shop. But one thing that he has done consistently is buy up every K or silver tone or that uh, arch top or acoustic that he can find. He gets he works as best magic he can as a as a uh, as a guitar tech to try to get it playable to make it usable, um, and then he sells them. And mm-hmm. are they the best playing, best sounding guitars in his shop? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The secondhand Takaminis and the secondhand like X series Martin that's in the shop plays better. Maybe technically sounds better, but are they cooler? Hell no, they're not cooler. And so what sells the arch tops and the K's and the, you know, all those old guitars that just have this energy, they have a vibe and yeah, it's, it's a different thing. I'm a big fan of this, like what I call the second tier vintage American made guitars because the Fenders, the Gibsons, the Martins, the Gretches, they're, they're just out of my price range. You know, I mean, I, I suppose I could probably buy one if I wanted, but then it's like a liability. Like I have this guitar that's worth $30,000. Like where am I, where am I even going to put that under my bed? Yeah, exactly. In a bank vault. So, um, so I love to buy K, Harmony, Dan Electro, Silvertone, uh, Regal. Uh, I have a couple vintage parlor guitars that are Washburn parlor guitars. Oh, wow. And yeah, almost all, you know, because Washburn, now you think of them as like the, an Asian-made kind of, you know, middle of the road. Right. Uh, budget acoustic but uh washburn made excellent guitars a hundred years ago there's a reason it was washburn that had washburn had a oh i'm gonna get this wrong didn't they have a west montgomery signature at one point or did they was it george benson i I don't think so i don't know maybe one of those maybe um oh yeah the the modern washburn yeah and it's like yeah and it's because you know that older legacy of Washburn, everybody forgets they've been around for a long, long, long time as a brand, not making the same style guitars. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the, that the second tier vintage stuff because it's affordable. I can buy a, a great American made guitar, usually with a Brazilian rosewood fingerboard uh, for under a grand, you know, most of the time. And you just can't even come close to that with with uh, with the top tier stuff. No, not at all. I was at Summer Nam in Nashville a few weeks ago, and I went over to Carter Vintage, and I, I filmed, and I still haven't put that video up. I need to do it. Um, they were gracious enough to let me uh, film a little bit with. They had a sixty, a 1960 Burst Les Paul, and I looked yeah. at the price tag, and it's like three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. I. I've never touched a single item that I could hold in both hands. It was worth that much money. You know, no, it's, it's more, crazy. Than, more than my house. It's more than, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And, and we're talking the most extreme, like 59 and 60 yeah. burst less balls. They are the extreme without any providence, you know, you just add artist owned or played and it gets different, but those are so out of reach for normal people that 
now I I do worry that that second tier is going to start to go that way. Now it's like because yeah, the other stuff is might. so out of reach. Mm-hmm. We're seeing we're seeing eighties Fender Strats and Le- and and Telecasters and Gibson stuff start to get into ridiculous numbers too. Uh, yeah, it's funny to think about an '80s guitar as a vintage <laughs> guitar, but I guess it is now. Yeah, it's forty forty years old ish. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and the good news is with with old harmonies and things like that is they made a billion of them. I mean, harmony. I've read that harmony made more guitars than all the other American manufacturers put together. Oh man. And so and so because they just made so many of them, uh I don't think they'll ever have a huge premium on them. Um because the factors I mean, I understand why a nineteen fifty nine Gibson Les Paul costs as much as it does, even though I don't agree to pay that. Right. I I understand why it costs that much. Um demand, uh rarity. And um, what's the other factor? I talk about this all the time <laughs> because people people ask, like, why right. is that guitar $300,000 and this one that looks just like it, $3,000? Yeah. You know, uh, condition, rarity, and demand. Yeah. A guitar that has those three things, if it's in good condition, if it's exceedingly rare, and there's a big demand – for that instrument, then that's the magic combination. And the thing about vintage harmonies is the rarity. You just don't have that. Yeah. There's, because there's they so made many of them. so many. And that, and that, that extends to see, I, I love the, the K, uh, the flat tops, you know, the ones I'm talking about with like the really yeah. crazy looking, like orange and black stripey finish, the acoustic guitars. Yeah. I don't know the proper term for it, but um, I love those, and I've, I've played more of them than I, than I can count. You know, hanging out in my front, my buddy Ronnie's shop because he had so many come through, and I've I've played them in every version of playability too. I've played some that it doesn't make sense; it plays so good, and I've played some that I could fit a screwdriver between the strings and the fingerboard. You know what I mean? It's um, yeah. It, but the, my favorites are the arch tops. Um, Mm-hmm. Some of those K and those, uh, oh, you know, the million other brand names that they went under, depending on what store was selling them. Uh, but old craftsman, yeah, craftsman. Oh, oh, was it the craftsman has the Zippo pickups? Oh, I've played a few of those that I can't believe I didn't buy them. Um, this is where I have a terrible memory for brand for for model names. Um, I think it was Speed something. Speed Demon? Ah, that's what it is. It's got to be that one. Speed yeah. Demon. They're yeah. such cool guitars. and But I've always been a sucker for arch tops because I, I love that style of music, the, the blues and the jazz that were played on them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't have one currently, and I need to get one. But they... They have that vibe, and they're, you're right. There are a million of them out there. Otherwise, Ronnie wouldn't continue to be able to find more and more to fix up. And and he can buy them so cheap because there are a million of them. And occasionally, you know, he gets one, and he's like, I can't make this play. Like, there's nothing I can do to make this playable. This is a wall hanger. Yeah. 
and he sells it as sure. a wall hanger, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I love those old guitars. And so, uh, getting down that road, cause I really want to talk about, uh, some of the blue stuff you're into because I don't, I don't, I get a lot of people on this podcast. I don't often get to talk to blue people who are as into the blues as you are. Um, so you also, I, I want to tell our listeners your your love of classic things doesn't isn't just 1930s sewing machines and 1950s guitars. You have like an old school Oldsmobile with a Rocket 88, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 52 Oldsmobile. I was just I took a little drive in it this morning. Oh, see, that's so that is. I, I have a lot of kinship to that song, uh, Rocket 88, maybe maybe the first rock and roll song. You know, we're, we're not going to go way down the, um, we're not going to go way down that rabbit hole. But um, I, so I'm, I'm a public librarian. That's what I do. I'm, I'm public library director. Um, and Jackie Brinston, who was a saxophonist who sang Rocket 88, um, uh, he was a he was an avid goer of the library in my hometown in Clarksdale, and it's probably a really great point to end on, actually, as I have taken up a great deal of your Saturday afternoon already at this point. 